This is a weekly rundown with Cardine Johnson, special edition. I am Cardine Johnson, and this is a special report on the state of education during the COVID-19 pandemic. As schools across the country settle into their fall semester, some schools opt for virtual learning, while others have made the controversial return to in-person learning. This comes as confirmed COVID-19 cases rise in most parts of the country. An analysis by the Kaiser Family Foundation estimates one in four teachers have health conditions that place them at a higher risk for COVID-19-related complications, intensifying the debate for in-person learning even more. As the federal government places itself in this debate with threats of withholding funding from schools, the decision on how to approach public education during a pandemic becomes more difficult. In Georgia, many schools have been in session for up to five weeks. While some districts have chosen to offer only virtual learning, more than half of Georgia school districts offer in-person learning to some degree. According to reports from Georgia Association of Educators, this has resulted in teachers resigning and selling for early retirement. Lisa Morgan is a 21-year veteran teacher who has spent her career teaching in early education. She currently serves as the president of Georgia Association of Educators, Georgia's affiliate of the larger National Association of Educators. She believes we must understand the important position of schools within their communities. Schools are not an island separate from the community around them. And we are seeing in those areas that are opening face-to-face that the virus is coming in with them and then transmission is occurring in the school buildings. To address this, Morgan believes all schools should adopt a digital learning model for now. We believe that our schools should be using remote instruction at this time. And that is because Georgia is in the middle of continued increases day after day after day. We do not have a single county in Georgia that is below the community spread level that was the original guidance for opening face-to-face in our buildings. With many parents returning to work, the difficulty of obtaining childcare becomes more challenging. However, Morgan believes that the burden is easier to bear if parents know what to expect with virtual learning. We truly understand that for many of our parents, finding daycare, finding a place for the students to be during the day while they're at work is a hardship. However, if you know you're going to need to have that for your child, then you can make that plan. When you anticipate and you expect your child's going to school, And then the letter comes home that says, no, your child cannot return for two weeks because they have to quarantine. That's an issue. And that's happening daily to parents with no warning. And then we've got the issue that we have high schools that have shut down for the rest of the month. And so without a plan B in place, that's even a bigger issue. Although the learning environment may be changing, The resources and support that schools provide remain available for their communities, according to Morgan. I think that's been clearly highlighted throughout this, the fact that the schools are still feeding our students breakfast and lunch every day, delivering the meals. Um, Our schools are still 
providing the social and emotional, the counseling, the social workers, all of those things are still happening because we know our students need them. Morgan admits that students may experience gaps in their learning. We know there's going to be some gaps. There's going to be some things that we're going to have to catch them up because there are things that simply cannot be done virtually. I think about science lessons and science labs. You simply cannot do that virtually. And while I know many of our science teachers are doing a great job in demonstrating those labs and those things, they simply can't do it virtually. But we can make up those gaps once we, it is safe to be back in the classroom. This idea that children may fall behind illustrates a larger issue Lisa Morgan believes must be addressed. I keep hearing, well, my, kid, my child's going to be behind. My child's going to be behind. And my question is behind what? Because we have this belief now that the expectation that is held for students at a particular grade level has always been the expectation. And that's really not true. No Child Left Behind has led to the curriculum being pushed down to younger and younger grades. Talk about Algebra 1. When we were younger, when we were going to school, Algebra 1 was a ninth grade class learning to read. We all did that in first grade. Now Algebra 1 is a middle school class. Learning to read is a kindergarten expectation. So we already know we've pushed everything down to younger and younger ages. So if we get a little bit of a correction of that, where we've pushed things down, where it may not completely be appropriate, and we kind of reset those expectations, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Lastly, Lisa Morgan and the Georgia Association of Educators offers this guidance to their fellow educators during these difficult times. The other thing we are recommending um, that they do not sign any waiver of liability for the districts before they return and that they also keep documentation of the instances, what's happening in their building and in their district. A lot of the districts are not publishing and publicizing the fact that they have cases and they have more cases than they are letting us know publicly. So a lot of times it's on the educators to make sure that their colleagues know that someone is positive or someone is sick or someone is quarantining in the building. Arianne Montgomery and Anthony Downer, like many teachers, find themselves in the middle of the debate for in-person versus virtual learning as they work to teach during this worldwide pandemic. Arianne and Anthony are both high school teachers in Georgia's Gwinnett County District and founders of Gwinnett Educators for Equity and Justice. Anthony Downer explains the unimaginable measures they face to maintain any level of safety. We're forced to build forts out of our desks using plastic and plexiglass. Anthony believes when districts employ this hybrid model of learning, it's the students that suffer. When students return to the classroom um, and the teacher is forced to do hybrid teaching, uh, your, your attention is split between your in-person learners and your digital learners. And therefore, your digital learners do not receive an adequate uh, education. Arianne Montgomery, who teaches AP government, 
economics, and American civics in Gwinnett County also finds it hard to adapt to the rigor of hybrid learning. It is very hard at this point to be able to be the best teacher that you can be because you will be working 24-8, not even 24-7 anymore. You're creating time. Anthony explains the expectations for teachers go beyond educating to public health and safety. We have PPE and cleaning supplies, so we clean between each and every block at the very beginning of the day, at the end of the day. So we have to go through measures as teachers beyond our duties in order to keep ourselves safe and our students safe and really the community members and our family members that we're also putting at risk. Even outside of the classroom, Ariane Montgomery seeks to educate and nurture the whole child during these intense moments of fear and heartache of the COVID-19 pandemic. It frightens me that our students are going through such a tough time at this moment. It has been a very scary time, either of lost students or lost parents of students that we have. I've been to a funeral last weekend. I was very disappointed and expressed this to my district that if we care about our marginalized students, we care about equity, we are a world-class system, why is there no representation at these funerals of these students? Because we are supposed to nurture the whole child. Ultimately, many teachers, including Ariane and Anthony, believe virtual learning can work if it's given a fighting chance. We need to take the space and we need to make sure that we're constantly, constantly enhancing and strengthening virtual learning. We can do that from the comforts of our homes. We can provide high quality digital learning and keep ourselves safe, keep our students safe from the comforts of our homes. But that requires school districts to dedicate resources to ensuring all students have access to the necessary tools for success in the digital space. We have students that have been without reliable um, internet as well as digital devices. We knew when the pandemic started, there was inequities when it came to more marginalized students having these access to these Chromebooks. Many of my students are still struggling, even if they have the Chromebooks or the technology, they don't have the hotspots, they don't have the strong internet connections. Anthony argues that the inequalities don't stop at a student's access to technology, but expand to a family's access to impact policy. What we have seen is that about 20% of the population of parents have been able to dictate policy for the other 80%. We know that we're a majority minority district, but what we saw at the last board meeting and what we've seen from past uh, previous months is that white and rich parents have been able to meet with the superintendent, they've had access to the superintendent, and they've been able to uh, persuade and influence his decision-making so that he can uh, give them the choice that they are adamantly demanding. What about the parents from the southern part of the district? What about our working-class parents, our parents of color? We have not seen their voices be elevated. Many teachers simply feel unprepared and under-supported. We could have prepared better for this. We, we knew that th this was going to be an issue. We knew these inequities. We know they already existed in a lot of ways, and we could have prepared to avoid them. Right now, throughout the country, the teacher is the scapegoat. We are doing the best that we can. If we don't have our school system for us, if we don't have our mayors, if we don't have our governors for us, then who is going to be for us? Anthony Downer believes it will take a direct community effort to fully address the state of education during the COVID-19 pandemic. What we need 
is a, an immediate return to 100% virtual learning. We need to give staff members the option to work from home, especially those that are high risk. And we need the community, we need our government officials, we need our businesses to step up and to provide resources and solutions to those families that need childcare, transportation services, uh, academic support, especially our students with disabilities and who are at most risk of learning loss. And we need this to be a community solution. And right now we're seeing it's dumped on the school district and that many of those stakeholders that should be at the table have taken a step back. Public education, digital learning is a responsibility for the entire community, not just for teachers, not just for school districts. So we need the community to listen to teachers, support teachers, and, and play their role when it comes to strengthening public education. Although the specifics of learning are changing on a daily basis, one thing is for sure, teachers and students are facing unprecedented circumstances that no one was fully prepared for. I'm Cardine Johnson, and this has been a special report on the state of education during the COVID-19 pandemic.